Hi, everyone, and welcome to Luxury Insight Podcast in partnership with FashionNetwork.com. This is Jonathan Siboni. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Luxury Insight. Today, we have the pleasure and honor to welcome one of the most experienced and respected experts in the luxury industry, Christian Blancart. Christian is the former president of the Comité Colbert and former vice president of Hermès International. He will share his vision of the luxury industry and its evolution. So stay tuned and have a lot of fun. Good day, everyone. Um, for our latest uh, podcast, we're going to be interviewing one of France's greatest luxury men, Christian Blancart. Good morning, Christian. Good morning. Uh, Christian has had a very brilliant career, everything from uh, running Petit Bateau to Hermès to advising politicians to writing books to being a, a pure expression of French luxury. So let's begin at the beginning. Uh, I know you went to one of the, the great schools here, SC. Uh, I was teaching there. You, you taught there. But uh, how did you begin your education and it led you into luxury? No, I, my, my education was not in luxury. My education uh, was in uh, heavy industry. I was for many times uh, head of Bricorama, and then I was with Thompson. I was selling washing machine, <laughs> and um, I, I spent most of my life in uh, electronic, <laughs> in TV, uh, and um, importing uh, video from uh, from Japan. So, in fact, I had nothing to do with luxury. Nothing to do. This is why I went to luxury, I guess, by pure accident. What was your first step? In luxury? Yeah. At Comité Colbert. I was hired as a specialist of uh, washing machine at the Comité Colbert, which is a, a very funny paradox. Well, <laughs> yes, it's the, uh, the, as people may not know, but it's the organ organization it's which groups together. It's an organization which put together 70 luxury brands. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, in charge of uh, what we call president délégué, which means delegate president, uh -huh. in charge of, uh, of organizing uh, the actions in the word of all the 70 companies in which you have Louis Vuitton, uh, Boucheron, Hermès, Chanel, etc., etc. And uh, all of them. So we, I went all over the world, lobbying, acting, organizing things. It was, it was in fact, uh, very professional, very professional. What year was that? That was from 1988 to 1996 I did that. Which was when I first met you, when I was well, at we Women's Wear Day. We met in New York, or I don't know where. Uh, or <laughs> your the, presentations yes, issued sure, annually sure, and uh, sure, announced things to come sure. and take It's a very pure expression of France, though, a luxury. It is an expression of France, absolutely. Yeah. The French have an expression of luxury. Yeah. Uh, the Italians have another expression mm. of luxury. After that, almost, well, what's the difference? The difference is that, um, well, for, first of all, in France, you have big groups of luxury which are very, very powerful, mm. like LVMH or Kering, uh, big names, big groups. In Italy, they never succeeded in organizing themselves mm. in groups. So, uh, but they have good, they have, of course, good names, but it's not the same luxury. It's a different style, different uh, – um, some weaknesses in Italy also in companies like Ferragamo yeah. um, or even Prada, they have, they have ups and downs. They're more structured from a financial and economical point of view in France than in Italy. But they, you have some strong family companies in Italy also, uh, so like Fourla, like uh, some companies like that, very strong. 
After Comité Colbert, where did you go? To Hermès? To Hermès, direct. Yes, yes. And you became what? I became, uh, in, uh, in fact, uh, CEO of uh, Hermès Cellier, which was grouping uh, uh, most manufacturing aspect of Hermès, oh. plus uh, the, the, the commercial activities in France. So it was very big at the time, in 1996. Then I became um, director general, general uh, vice president, executive vice president in charge of the development of Hermès in the world. So I had two jobs, in fact. Uh, and it uh, went on to enjoy a long period of uh, explosive gro- growth. Yes, it was only a period of growth, mm. and uh, and in fact we were. It was a fantastic uh, period with Jean Louis Dumas, of course, who was uh, the head of the company yeah. and my my boss and my friend. And who had an extremely fertile imagination. Jean-Louis had a fertile <laughs> imagination. <laughs> That's the least you can say. Jean-Louis was at the time. Uh, a poet yeah. and an épicier, he, he said. I yes. am a poet and an épicier. It means in English, I am a poet, but also sort of selling ties. He was he was a commerçant. You know, he was selling. We always thought at Hermès we were commerçants. I mean, selling products, selling ties, selling selling scarves. Myself, very often at Christmas time, you could see me selling, uh, selling in in the main boutique in the flagship. Yes, in the store. Um, we had a long period of growth and a long period of fun. One thing that I was talking about, uh, Hermès, Jean-Louis above all, was the ability to stretch the def- de- definition of luxury. Because luxury at the time, 30 years ago, was still a, a kind of very formal, fuddy-duddy thing. Well, in fact, things have changed because oh. at, at, when I joined the luxury world, it was coded. Everything was coded. People wants to look like others, you know. Yes. Uh, in in Japan, it was incredible. I mean, everybody in the Shinkansen had the same bag, Louis Vuitton, uh, in general. And, yeah. uh, uh, and in France, uh, everybody wanted the Kelly bag. And, yeah. uh, you know, people like to look like others. Then it changed completely. Uh, with Jean-Louis understood that, uh, making new advertising campaigns, new uh, creativity, new type of creativity. And yeah. today, and today, it's incredibly different. Today, there is no code. Everything can be shared. You can buy a, a very famous product from Hermès or from any other uh, company and switch it with an off-white product or a Supreme product, baskets with the Kelly bag. Everything goes together from a code situation. We are now, and Jean-Louis understood that, in an individualist situation. Everybody wants to look for himself, not for others. So that's a big change in terms of behavior and understanding of the luxury world, a huge change. And if you see uh, Virginia Ball uh, at uh, uh, Creator at, at Louis Vuitton today, yeah. it was impossible to, 10 years ago. And if you see what uh, Chanel is doing with uh, Terry Williams, you just think that it was just not conceivable even five years ago. So uh, every big brand, um, and Jean-Louis understood that with, uh, with the scarves. The scarves were very coded, and Jean-Louis Dumas, you know, suddenly understood that you could wear a scarf with a jean, with a basket, going to the sea, you know. Uh, Jean-Louis understood that, and it, it gave to Hermès a, a sort of big power of change, which made the success of the brand. 
One thing I remember, one of the first times I met him was he had come back from Brazil and he'd gone to visit some primitive tribe called the Yanamana, a name like that. And he he came back and he, they had made rubber, this completely pure, transparent rubber, and he made a Kelly bag or a series of Kelly's bags yes. out of rubber. I don't know if they sold it, but I remember thinking... That was revolutionizing the raw material of what... Uh, you are absolutely right. Uh-huh. It was one of the big, big experiences uh, yeah. we had. Yeah. Jean-Louis thought that um, leather would not be forever oh. and that he, w- he sent a team of two persons in Amazon, Amazonia and uh, to buy some what we call rubber sheets. Yes. And we bought plenty of rubber sheets. <laughs> I was in charge at the time. So Jean-Louis, uh, I, n- I never argued with Jean-Louis on imagination yeah, and yeah, creation. Yeah. I always was in a management position. <laughs> so we bought the sheets of rubber. And you saw every, everybody in the factory, you know, <laughs> manufacturing Kelly bag and Birkin bag, which is rubber. And I still have one, I must <laughs> say. The, the problem was that the rubber suddenly, yeah. in some uh, places where it was very hot oh. and humid, yeah. uh, had some uh, problems. Yeah. So some reactive problems. So <laughs> Jean-Louis and I, we decided to stop the rubber, the rubber experience. But it doesn't matter. It was a fantastic innovation experience. Uh, uh, okay. Innovation, in fact, is a motto, okay? Not only creation, innovation. And that was a pure imo- innovation strategy. I love it. Uh, that was one of the earliest steps in luxury and, I suppose, sustainability in creating a renewable resource that, that, that was different. That's the big buzzword today. How do you think fashion and luxury has uh, approached the idea of sustainability? Yes, I know sustainability is very à la mode, okay? Is, uh, yeah. is, uh, everybody talks about it. So caring is uh, working for women and uh, everybody is... is uh, LVMH doing a lot, Hermes also has a Hermes foundation. Everybody is concerned. In fact, the question is, what can we do? I mean, the reason of that is that luxury means also generosity. Mm-hmm. Nobody can escape today, escape from the idea that, that um, high prices... Luxury product, sometimes too high prices. Sometimes uh-huh. luxury products are much too expensive. Uh, they can provocate a reaction which are negative reaction. So the compensation of the reaction is in sustainability. It means in uh, uh, doing something for the planet, uh, participate to the world. In fact, no company, no brand today can escape from the idea of talking to, to people, of, uh, of uh, engaging encouraging and being generous. That is the main idea. So whatever you do in that direction is excellent. Uh, look at what happened with Notre Dame de Paris, yeah. uh, with the bird. Immediately, you had two luxury companies like Arnaud and Pinot who gave a lot of money to And this is sustainability, in a way. This is normal. Yes, but do you think it's, it's a buzzword? It's just a PR project? Or are people really genuine? No, I don't there? think it's a PR project. I think it's a, it's a very important project. And I think we will, we will see in the next future uh, to go much further in that direction, much further. Some prices are shocking people. And, um, uh, and today, luxury doesn't mean expensive. 
today can mean also affordable. We talk a lot about affordable luxury, you know, which means quality and affordable. And the Italians are good for that, better than the French. Every company should think about that, affordable, looking for many, many customers, but in a way that a lot of people can can be welcome in the store and on Internet. We're both uh, sufficiently mature that we lived in the era before the Internet, before social media, before even emails when you would send faxes and exactly even telexes. How do you think fashion has approached or luxury has approached the digital era? In France, there's an opinion that it was relatively slow and luxury brands are very slow and very cautious and hesitant to go into the, But how do you think they've performed? First of, first of all, I'm sorry to disappoint you a little bit on that. Yeah. I didn't believe very I thought it was dangerous at the beginning. Yeah. When it started, I was there. Yeah. Okay? I was not of that culture of Internet myself. I mean culture. Okay? It's a cultural attitude. I was scared. Was was I scared? My scare is where you, the dream can disappear. My scare is when everything is transparent. I'm very scared of transparency, excessive transparency, uh-huh. where everything can be said, everything can be shown. There is, in, in the definition of luxury, a part of mystery. You, you have some time to touch the product, to touch the skin, to touch, to smell, to, and, and this has nothing to do with Internet so <laughs> at all. <laughs> it is the opposite of Internet and social media. So for luxury... My definition of luxury is that it is the store will remain a pleasure of, of, of experience, a pleasure of being there, a pleasure of meeting people, a pleasure of talking to the salespeople, a pleasure of understanding the heritage of the brand. If, and, and Internet is not, is not so easy about it. But of course, I must be realistic uh, uh. as you. And uh, even if it's not my culture, uh, no luxury brand can escape from Internet. But with a lot of uh, imagination to come, to make it as beautiful as we think. And it is not done for the moment. It is not done. A lot has to be done. (laughs) Otherwise, the risk is that the definition of luxury can disappear. No mystery. Everything is transparent. You know everything. You, You don't touch. No. I don't believe in that. Um, we live in an era of algorithms. That's the big word people talk about. And an increasing fear of algorithms and anger about them that the big internet companies now know too much about us. That they, But is that, is that a justifiable fear? No. For me, it's a big fear. Yeah. I, I, don't, I think the, the social media are extremely yeah. dangerous. Everybody can say whatever he likes, whenever he likes, and there is no obstacle. So the rumors can spread all over the world in two minutes. You can say negative, positive. So to live with that, frankly, is a nightmare. I think social media are a nightmare from that point of view. Algorithms are part of the system. We are now, you know everything on everybody. (laughs) I remember when they... I was in the store and somebody had what we call CRM, you know, the word for knowing everything on you. And uh, customer. Yeah, customer uh, uh, management, report management management or or something like that. 
a sort of uh, interesting bullshit story, okay? <laughs> CRM. So uh, absolutely uh, poison, So especially when it's not well used. So the, the sales associate came to see the customer. He was with uh, a, a very nice lady, and he told him, it was in a very luxury, uh, good luxury brand company, yeah. very famous. And he told him, oh, you bought uh, this jacket already in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> it was in London. And then, <laughs> he didn't buy it for his wife, uh-huh. but for somebody else. I don't know who was she. So he was extremely embarrassed. So CRM was a catastrophe, you know. <laughs> so, so before, at least, you didn't know anything about your customer, only what you hear from them or if you know physically. But you didn't know what he bought two years ago or two days ago in San Francisco when he was living in New York. Uh, now you know. So it's a disaster, you know. It's a total disaster. If used like this. Yeah. But nonetheless, um, it's the biggest marketing tool in the world now, algorithms, basically. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What a shame. I mean, I'll give you an example of why people might be afraid. I, I, the other day I had a, a, a text exchange for Facebook. Somebody asked me, Godfrey, because I lived in Italy, I speak Italian, I'm a fashion guy. They wanted some recommendations of hotels and, sure. and, and, and restaurants. Sure. And the, the, I recommend them. And then I get bombarded with ads. They clearly <laughs> read some, someone or some machine or algorithm <laughs> had read my <laughs> private conversation. <laughs> You know, I hate that. It's I'm, awful. You know what I mean? Then my Facebook page became this thing. Which I, so I was being used as some sort of marketing. Sure. Um, data mining, you know, we're, we're here with our partners, Luxury Insight, who we're doing this uh, joint venture in these podcasts. Um, and people talk about artificial intelligence, data mining. What do you think the future is there? Well, uh, first of all, I'm very interested in uh, understanding... Um, what it means, because I don't know what exactly artificial intelligence will mean for luxury. I think that uh, in this nomadic world where we are now, yeah. uh, where everybody travels all the time, we will we will come back the uh, the time for heaven places. And uh, in fact, the future of stores or places. Yeah. I don't know if it will be stores, but. Um, it will be heaven. It will be places where you can rest, where you can escape. It's just like ties. You know, nobody wears ties. You don't have ties. I don't have ties. But ties will come back. <laughs> One day, everybody, uh, everybody wants to be a la mode. And la mode will be exactly the opposite of what la mode is today. So ties will come back, okay? Of course. And uh, the same for uh, heavens. We'll come back the time where you want to go to the store, you forget about internet, and uh, etc. And artificial intelligence will help you to understand, will help us uh-huh. to understand the need for uh, what we mean, a new innovation activity in our places. We have places all over the world where we sell luxury brands. What we will do with the stores, what we will do with those locations. Mm. This is a fantastic opportunity for innovation and intelligent. What will look like the stores in, in 20 years selling luxury brands, yeah. I don't know, but I'm sure it will be uh, with, with fun, with, uh, with, it will be warm, it will be, uh, and that is what the uh, intelligence artificial will, will say. It will sell that. I think so. Once again, when we began, uh, there's no such thing as a Chinese luxury conserver. 
well, there were no Chinese consumers, basically, uh, talking about 30 years ago. Um, you know, it didn't exist. It did not exist. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're of the time before even Mr. Deng Xiaoping, you know, unleashed the market. <laughs> and we see this revolution economically, maybe not politically, but yes, economically. Yes. And um, China has become now the single biggest market for LVMH, even bigger than America, and the most recent, the most last year or two. Yeah. So. How do you see... Chinese consumers changing their tastes and their, and their habits? And how do you see them influencing creativity in luxury? It is a very interesting question. Yeah. I've been many, many times to China, oh. and I have the chance to talk to a lot of Chinese with an interpreter. It is the only country in the world where I met people, young women, young lady, young, very young, uh, making uh, such a financial effort to buy a luxury product, like saving every month $100 for, many, for two or three years yeah. to buy a bag exp- which costs two or three times her salary. Yeah. So I tried to... It's the only country in the world where I saw that. Yeah. So in fact, the luxury brand, yeah. for them, the reason was that it was a way to... For, it was there are two reasons. One, it was a passport for a business uh, growth, for a business promotion of themselves, of themselves, yeah. to show that they were capable to access <laughs> with a brand to a certain social level. Yeah. That's what they explained to me. Yeah. And the second reason, where you, which is so important in China, you don't understand China if you don't understand the Cultural Revolution. The parents. I suffered terribly, and the grandparents and the grand grandparents. Mm-hmm. So it's a revanche against uh, what happened to the families and to them. In both cases, to wear a European brand, uh, expensive, shows that they are coming back to the world of success and participate to their own growth. That was the reason in China. In the beginning. At the beginning. Now it is different. Now. China, the luxury word in China is the most important word of the uh, in the planet. I mean, the Chinese consumer is number one, just because we are uh, uh, leaving the word of look alike to the word of look to me, and even in China it comes. So the young Chinese who are very rich, by the way, because of the unique child. So never forget that the reason why we have young customer in China very rich, it is the, the place where they are the richest in the world, the Chinese young people of 20 years old. It's just because the unique child yeah. has parents mm. and grandparents and he's the only one who inherits from them. So he has a lot of money. And for that money, he wants to buy luxury worldwide brand. So for a long time, it will remain like that. You know, a I, long time. As I am the Benjamin of uh, six enfants, six kids in Ireland, so I know the exact opposite. The, the exact opposite <laughs> is in Ireland, but in France also, when you have four sisters and, oh, and brothers. Exactly, no nombreuse. Exactly, no family nombreuse in Europe. <laughs> only families nombreuse in, <laughs> yeah. in Europe. Only one child in China, very rich child. And awfully uh, educated, very arrogant and uh, uh, very difficult. Here, where is this? Uh, in China. 
They want everything now, everything immediately. Ask the store managers. Very difficult. Does it concern you that the internet millennial era who want everything so quickly and who want a casual culture are destroying the idea of elegance? Today, the definition of elegance is completely different from what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Elegance 10 years ago was one dress, one pair of shoes. Yeah. It was a sort of uniform, yeah. is all uniform, yeah. but always together. Today, the definition of elegance is the opposite. Today, you have a basket, uh, basket shoes, sneakers, and, yeah. and, sneakers and, uh, and a dress from Chanel, no problem, okay? Yeah. You can wear a, um, a Kelly bag with a hat from uh, off-white, no problem. So the definition of elegance has, has deviated uh-huh. to a, your own idea of elegance. So it's uh-huh. good in a way, uh-huh. because it, 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 it is a demonstration of what is the most important in the luxury world today is freedom. Freedom to wear what you like, freedom not to have a tie when you are a banker, <laughs> freedom to have sneakers when you are going to a party, it was very funny. The other day, I went to a party, a very oh. chic party, at Musée Pompidou, yeah. you know, yeah. for a dinner, very expensive dinner where you had people buying a table at 10,000 oh. euros the table. It's a charity dinner, okay? Yeah. Which, which one? Oh, it was at uh, Musée Pompidou. Okay. okay. And you saw uh, many, many uh, young men oh. and women with sneakers. <laughs> the- <laughs> Absolutely. Sneakers, tie, um, a dress. Uh, women with a dress from uh, from Gucci and uh, sneakers from uh, Supreme, no problem. So that is elegance today. You know, I worked it's for a man. Coded again. I was worked for a man called John Fairchild. You you remember him, of course. He yes, was, you know, he you was. Did. Yes, I remember. Yeah, you. yeah, he was the uh, Ayatollah de la Mode. You know, yes, he, of he he was a, before Anna Winter. He was the Pope of Fashion. Yes, he was. And he always taught me that uh, the true test of a designer. Is not the printing or the fabric. It's cut and line. If they are really a truly designer, and if you look at the casualization, if you look at you know, all the brands you mentioned, uh, Off White, Supreme, all these new guards brands, there's not one designer among them. Hell, no, no one. They can't cut a suit. There's no sense of silhouette about the thing. No. Yeah. Don't you think that in the end is destroying some uh, artistic idea of elegance? I'm not sure with the young people. Yeah. You take, for example, Montclair, okay? Yeah. Yeah. They have imaginated a th- something called genius. Yes. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I, I, I know very well because yeah. I, uh, I know Montclair. So in genius, you have seven or eight creators, okay? Yeah. Yeah. One uh, from Japan, one from America, one from Ireland, Italy, uh, Ireland, Africa, uh, okay? Yeah. Yeah. I know Fujiwara, who I've, uh, I've studied Fujiwara. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hiroshi Fujiwara, yeah, sure. who is a Japanese creator, yeah. and I've seen what he does, what he do, what he mm. did for Montclair and for others, among other creators. I cannot say it's elegant from my point of view, yeah. but uh, my point of view is not valid very much. I mean, if you see that people of twenty years old in Japan mm. or in America love that, uh, uh, yeah. it is their way to be elegant. So, in fact, the freedom of the definition of elegance. Mm. You cannot give a definition of elegance. Everybody has his own elegance today, and it's not, there, there is no general elegance. It disappears. The general elegance, which we understood, disappears. 
How do you see, what do you think the next big thing in fashion and luxury will be? Well, the next big thing in fashion will be the fact that some brands will die. Yeah. Some brands will uh, happen to, uh, to escape. And yeah. some brands, today the world is divided in two. The winners and the losers. <laughs> in the middle of luxury, I'm talking luxury. The, the leaders, big brands and the losers. Who are in, the losers then? The losers are some very famous brands who have not taken the train of innovation enough so quickly huh? mm. uh, and who suffers an immense lot. Huh? <laughs> they are Italian, they are French, they are whatever you like. Yeah. And tomorrow, you will ups and downs in the brands. You will have new brands. In fact, the time has come for, for new brands, new innovation. It's good because for many, many years, the world of luxury was captured by... Uh, brands which look like eternal. Yeah. And one lesson I learned from Jean-Louis Dumas yeah. uh, is that no brand is eternal. Some brand can die. And you have brands who were famous in 1935 or 1950 who died, or who, who died completely. If you take what I did, the, the participants of Comité Colbert yeah. in 1954, yeah. 1960, 1968, most of them you don't know their names. Well, I have to say, um, if you look at the history of any industry, let's say in 1919, right after the war ended, whatever, it's car industry, steel industry, steel industry, or building companies, or electronic or, or, industry, or, or, or whiskeys, or alcohol, and they're practically all changed. Yes. You know what I mean? And uh, why not in luxury? Um, Yes, but the luxury is the one thing where the dominant idea is they do have legacy. Everyone tells you, there's every luxury brand I know is always having a 75th anniversary or 100th anniversary. They're amazed how anniversaries practically yeah, yeah, every yeah, year yeah, they yeah, find yeah, some yeah, reason. Yeah. You know what For I mean? some of them, but very yeah. few. Yeah. One thing I'd like to finish on is there's a kind of unique French skill. I speak as an Irishman who's lived in Italy and yes. New York and in Paris and London yeah. in the, the great luxury capitals. Yes, yes, yes. That the French have of La Marque, the brand. Yes. They just seem a bit better at thinking about it, managing it, feeding it, maintaining it. Why, why, why is that? I think the French have a, a, a culture. I think the importance of the kings in France, which is a, a very difficult <laughs> democracy, especially today, has never been so important in terms of culture. I mean, Louis XIV mm. is still... Versailles is still yeah. there. Yeah. Museums are fantastic. Mm. Uh, France has a chance, incredible chance, is to have a history which is really impressive in the world today. Mm. That's the first reason. The second reason is that France had philosophers, writers... Uh, oh. And still the siècle des Lumières, as we say. It's a, it's a territory, France, of liberty, of freedom, of uh, free speech, free behavior. Oh. And those arguments, in fact, are digested uh, consciously or unconsciously, both by the customers of the word oh. and by the brand creators or brand innovators. France has also always is a ground to welcome foreigners. Yeah. And this, I hope, will remain forever. You, we, we, because there is no creator who is only French in the luxury world. They are coming from everywhere. And I hope it will remain from everywhere. Because the, 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 this country, which is our country, my country, is a ground for freedom, uh, tolerance uh, of artists and, and 
historically, but permanently. And I think this is the real reason why we have luxury brands and that we could have, again, more luxury brands tomorrow. Christian Blanco, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Me too, Jeff. We've barely scratched the surface. We could talk on another hour, <laughs> and we'll probably do that over a good lunch nice soon. Nice to meet you again. <laughs> nice to see you.